What's going on guys? It's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Welcome to the show folks. As I say every single week, thank you for tuning in. And if you missed last week's episode or any of the other great episodes of the great shows we have here on Lords of Pain Radio that go out every single week to you great folks, do go be sure to check them out on demand. You can do so at lordsofpain.net or over on Blog Talk Radio as well, of course. You can pick them all up, and they're all well worth listening. We've got everything from coverage of Ring of Honor, New Japan, WWE, Obscure Indie Feds, All Elite Wrestling now as well, as well as a host of other great stuff. So don't be afraid. Check out all those great shows. It is pay-per-view week. Yet again, it rolls around pretty fast these days, and that means that here on Sports Entertainment is Dead, we, of course, stick to the good old traditional alternative pre-show. But, and it's a pretty big book, folks. I'm going to give you a fair warning, because I'm a Brit, as you can probably tell from the accent, if this is the first time you've listened to the show, which means I'm on British time, which means I'm recording this before Smackdown Live is aired, and there's news coming out on the internet today that Mustafa Ali may have suffered a concussion, he may be removed from the match, we won't know for sure until Smackdown Live is aired, so the participants in the WWE Championship Elimination Chamber match may yet change. I'm going to try and work that into the pre-show, but bear in mind this is going out before SmackDown Live airs. To make matters worse, this is not exactly an inspiring-looking pay-per-view card, if I may break kayfabe for a second. In fact, it's pretty dour. I was talking to my right-side-of-the-pond cohort Maverick a little earlier on on Facebook today, and he was asking what the card was, whether anything outside of the chambers had been booked. And when I started to run down the matches, I began to get a little depressed. So to sum up, I'm doing an alternative pre-show about a pay-per-view that's less than inspiring and could change within a matter of hours. So please, bear that in mind and just humour me, guys. Okay, I'm at a disadvantage. I'm British, alright? So, but we'll do our best here and we'll see what we can glean. Because I think, you know, once you start, as always, to really engage in good faith with the fiction and the characters, which is what we're all about here at Sports Entertainment is Dead, then you really do tend to get some good stuff out of these things. Before we do that, though, I wanted to give you regular listeners, uh, and indeed any new listeners who I hope very much stick around, a little bit of a heads up. We're entering a pretty busy season at this point. Things are going to move very quickly because next week I will be doing my Elimination Chamber uh, performance art review, as is tradition. And then we move straight into the build-up to Fastlane, which I believe is on March the 10th. So that means the week after that, it's the Fastlane alternative pre-show, which means the week after that, it's the Fastlane performance art. Before you know it, we're three weeks out from WrestleMania, one of which is, of course, the WrestleMania alternative pre-show. That leaves me two free weeks in the midst of everything. And... Given how successful the, at least with you guys, many people got in touch to tell me that they really enjoyed it, the, the, the real-time watch-along with the 2009 Royal Rumble match I did was, I've decided to revisit that concept in, those, in that two-week period. And what I'm going to do is some more real-time watch-alongs with four WrestleMania matches that are extremely popular, that are extremely infamous, and that I think are a performance art treasure trove. I'm talking about what I like to call the tetralogy, which is a term I've lifted from uh, Shakespeare. In fact, my understanding is, and if you're listening and I get this wrong, do feel free to get in contact via the means I'll plug at the end of the show and and let me know. I'm sorry if you can hear, by the way, my computer blipping in the background there. Um, 
But the tetralogy is in reference to four plays that Shakespeare wrote, four historical plays that Shakespeare wrote, that while individual plays form an overarching narrative. I'm talking about Richard II, Henry IV, Parts One and Two, and Henry V. Great plays, by the way. And the reason I used this term was because there are four matches in WrestleMania history that, although individual matches, form an overarching narrative. I'm talking about The Undertaker's four matches stretching between WrestleMania 25 and WrestleMania 28 inclusive against Shawn Michaels in the first two instances and Triple H in the latter two instances. Four very popular matches, four very infamous matches, like I say, and four matches that form one long story, what I call the Tetralogy. I've written about this in the past in columns, in LOP's Columns Forum. I write somewhat about it in my book, 101 WWE Matches to See Before You Die, which, by the way, is available still to buy on Amazon. Uh, so do, uh, do go pick that up, uh, and, which lays out, incidentally, everything you need to know about watching WWE's products, specifically its performance art and the benefits of it and what you glean from it and how it changes our understanding of where we've been and where we're going to and all that good stuff. So go pick up your copy today. But I, I digress. What I want to do are four real-time watch-alongs, two one week, two the next, of these four WrestleMania matches. So starting with versus Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania, followed by the Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker career match, career versus street match, WrestleMania 26, one week, and then the week after that, versus Triple H at WrestleMania 27, and the Hell in a Cell match, uh, end of an era, uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, 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 which is ridiculous when you put it like that, but end of an era match 10 years ago, back-to-back uh, uh, -back the second week. And really digging into all the tiny details, all those small uh, details that I like to pick out, that I like to pick up, uh, that, that basically form the basis of everything that I do as a wrestling critic and a wrestling columnist and all that good stuff. So that's going to be, it's, got, it's still got about three weeks before I, I go down that road, but I wanted to give it a bit of a plug and give you guys a, a, a bit of a heads up. I'm really looking forward to doing those shows. I think anybody who's familiar with my ideas on the Tetralogy, I know especially my good friend Chad the Doc Matthews, is likely to be looking forward to listening to those shows, uh, and so I wanted to plug that. That's going to be, uh, I believe, if I've got my dates right, that's looking to be March the 20th and March the 27th episodes of Sports Entertainment is Dead. Tetralogy, real-time watch-along, really digging into depth with those four famous Undertaker matches, so looking forward to that. But before we get there, of course, we've got Elimination Chamber and Fastlane to deal with, and on Sunday it is Elimination Chamber itself. Now, on Sunday night, you can check out Aftershock immediately after Elimination Chamber goes off air and you want to go and tune in to this week's show because we'll have some news about the, the future lineup for Aftershock as well. I'm not going to tell you what now, but uh, I'm sure we'll get to that on Sunday. So do do check it out for that reason. But check it out as well for my red hot fresh opinions about Elimination Chamber minutes after it goes off air alongside, of course, LOP radio mainstay Stephen Bell of The Late Shift fame. Uh, but until then, we have the alternative pre-show to get through. Now, like I said, look, I get it. It's not the greatest card in the world, right? I mean, wrestling fans of uh, any ilk who are still keeping up with WWE are probably going to be less than inspired by what feels like somehow a wafer-thin pay-per-view, especially from a company that is proclaiming themselves to be in the midst of some great change, listening to the frustrations of talent, listening to the frustrations of fans, and trying to turn around historically low TV ratings. This card, in lieu of that, leaves a lot to be desired. Whether we get through it all or not... <clears throat> I don't know. As always, you know, I, I try and go with the flow on the show, keep it to an hour, so we'll see 
what we get through. But I guess the sensible place to start here. Let's talk, first of all, about the WWE Championship Elimination Chamber match. You've got Daniel Bryan defending the WWE Championship against AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, Samoa Joe, and currently, as it stands as of recording, Mustafa Ali. Now, bear in mind, by the time this show goes out, that may have changed. I'll deal with that uh, in a in a little while. But to begin with, I guess it's first of all worth saying that you've got a lot of folks here. I think, in fact, everybody with the exception of Joe and Ali, so four out of six of these guys, have experience inside the Elimination Chamber. I think Daniel Bryan, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton in particular have a lot of experience with the older Elimination Chamber, which, if anything, was more brutal than this current one because the, the iron grating floor wasn't covered up with pads. It was smaller. It was more claustrophobic claustrophobic, much more felt like could go wrong. And so you've got to immediately give Brian Hardy and Orton, through the virtue of experience, something of an advantage over their opponents. Uh, Not just that, of course, as well. I mean, I guess you could say that Jeff Hardy, you know, with age playing a bit of a factor and all the wear and tear his body's been through, particularly over the course of his career, that that may be negate any advantage that experience gives him. But it's worth saying that Jeff Hardy, I'm not sure if he ever won an elimination chamber in the past, Unfortunately, here on my own, so I can't fact check that for you right now. But he certainly came close. I mean, this is a guy who took Triple H to the limit in Triple H's prime back in 2008, 10, 10 or so years ago. And so he knows he knows how to get it done. And he's been a former WWE champion as well. So even though he may seem like a bit of an odd inclusion in this particular match... Don't count the charismatic enigma out because he always feels like he's just one step away from recapturing that pinnacle of his career around 10 10 years or so ago. And of course, this is a hardcore environment, ultimately. I mean, the Elimination Chamber in and of itself is something of a weapon. There's lots of high things that you can be jumping off. And you've got to think that's going to immediately kind of speak to Jeff Hardy's daredevil nature. Having said all of that, we cannot afford to forget the 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 brutal torturous experience Jeff Hardy had inside Hell in a Cell against Randy Orton only just a few months ago and that may play on Jeff Hardy's mind as he enters this match you know he may be getting those horrifying visions because it was like a torture chamber Randy Orton turned the cell into a personal torture chamber for Jeff Hardy and we didn't see Jeff Hardy for weeks after that encounter so whether or not that gives Jeff Hardy pause for thought where otherwise he may just hurtle headlong into things without really thinking them through I mean he's an older wiser Jeff his body isn't going to be able to hold up to the same kind of punishment that it used to be so maybe there's that bit of hesitancy there you've got so ultimately with Jeff you've got the benefit of experience on on one hand but you've got the disadvantage of of age the disadvantage of recent experience because of course he's in there with Randy Orton as well so that that kind of shell shock may be triggered if he comes in contact with the guy that tortured him inside Hell in a Cell back in October. Randy Orton, though, he's got to be licking his lips, hasn't he? I mean, this is a guy who, in recent weeks and recent months, has been able to tap into a a malicious side of his nature that we haven't really seen to this extent. We haven't really seen this prominently since the height of his career in 2009, 10 or so years ago. 
And it was during that time, of course, you know, that he headed to WrestleMania, the winner of the Royal Rumble. He was challenging for the WWE Championship. He was more than happy to hold WrestleMania's main event to ransom, if you recall, if he didn't get the kind of things that, that he wanted. He RKO'd Stephanie McMahon. He mentally abused the McMahon, the entire McMahon family. And yes, this was 10 years ago. And yes, Orton, again, isn't quite as young and spry as he may have once been, but that maliciousness, we haven't seen this side of him in a long time. And what's what Randy Orton has proven time and time again is when he starts tapping into it, when he starts hearing those voices, it's very difficult for him to get out of that zone. And inside an elimination chamber, which which seemingly encourages that kind of maliciousness, maybe even just as much, if not more, than Hell in a Cell does, because you've got the, the, the Lexon pods and, and everything else that can be smashed. You've got chain walls. I mean, this is exactly the kind of environment. Randy Orton may even want to enter first. I mean, that's how much he seems to... I mean, Michael Cole famously always used to describe Orton's actions as fueled by an absence of malice. And in actual fact, I think this Randy Orton has a has a surplus of malice. He seems to have so much that he could just tap into and pour out onto his opponents whenever he fancies. And we've seen that recently manifest, uh, most recently in fact, with Mustafa Ali. So if Mustafa Ali does make it into the chamber this year, and that's a big if, because there's a lot hanging in the air as I record this, but if he does make it into the chamber, you know, that the injury he suffered with his eye this last week on, on SmackDown Live, as well as a whole host of nagging injuries we believe are piling up, I mean, that immediately puts Ali at a severe disadvantage. The fact that Orton currently has his his, his target on Ali. Ali seems to be his... It's a bit like a playground bully, isn't it? You know when a playground bully fixates on a particular victim and just doesn't... And if you've ever been bullied at school, as I was as a kid, you'll know what that feels like. It feels like someone's just fixated on you and they just won't leave you alone. And no matter what you do, no matter whether you fight back, no matter whether you go and tell people, they just won't leave you alone. That's what it feels like with Randy Orton. He did it with Jeff Hardy back in October and that's going to be playing on Jeff's mind, you've got to think. And most recently, he's been doing it with Mustafa Ali. And, you know, Mustafa Ali is the kind of guy who... Who has spoken very openly during his time on 205 Live in the past about his past experiences with bullies, uh, particularly how he, uh, in the past, never stood up to them, never did anything about it. Uh, and what's clear is he's not going to back down. If Orton is fixated on him, then Ali's going to bring, welcome the fight. Ali has put this this social responsibilities on his own shoulders to to stand up to people like Randy Orton. But one has to wonder whether his body's going to take it. Randy Orton has not had as hard-hitting a year as Ali has had these last 12 months. And I dare say that that's now beginning to stack up and come back to haunt Ali. I mean, the, the no-DQ match he had with, with Buddy Murphy, the Falls Count Anywhere match he had with Mustafa Ali, one, uh, sorry, with uh, Hideo Itami, I should say, one that came on the back of a prolonged absence because of injuries he suffered at the hands of Itami. You know, and then now we're hearing the fact, you know, he just recently did a 30-minute stint in the Royal Rumble match. He's he's had a, his eye blackened this last week. I mean, Ali's body can only take so much, and he's got a high-risk high offensive game. And even if he does make it into the chamber, he's got to get through the gauntlet match, in fact, on SmackDown Live this, this next week, and he's going to be putting his all because he doesn't know how to do anything else. 
All of this means that, yes, he may be willing to stand up to Randy Orton inside the chamber, but can his body be up to the task? So automatically then, you've got to think that Randy Orton has an advantage over at least two other people in this match. He has an advantage over Jeff Hardy, either A, because we've seen what he can physically best Jeff Hardy at doing inside of a structure not too dissimilar to the Elimination Chamber, or B, because Jeff Hardy may have demons lingering, ghosts lingering of that torturous experience he had with Hardy, coupled with the tentativeness that may come with age and the slowing down of his usual game, or C, both of those things combined. So that puts, I, you've got to think Orton is therefore favoured over Jeff, and then he's got to be favoured over Ali, not necessarily because Ali is going to be intimidated by Orton or because Ali is going to be hesitant because of age or any of the same things uh, as we've just said with Jeff Hardy, but because Ali's body can only take so much, and I think it's probably at breaking point, so he may not even make it into the chamber this weekend. So Randy Orton is in a very strong position. He's more malicious than he's ever been. He's got the best of two of the guys inside the, inside the chamber already. He's smooth. He's fast. He can strike any time. I mean, he got the better of Samoa Joe on the go-home show before the Royal Rumble match as well, lest we forget. But that's maybe where he falls down. That's maybe where Orton's chances are hurt because Samoa Joe may just be the favorite in this thing. It feels like Samoa Joe's usually the favorite in any match he enters, doesn't it? I mean, he's clever, he's smart, he's he's intimidating, he's fast, he's powerful, and he knows how to get under people's skins. He has the endurance as well. I mean, this is a guy we've seen have a long stint in the Royal Rumble match. It's a guy we've seen wrestle 20, 25-minute matches and, and seemingly be be fine by the end of it. You know, so I don't think that endurance is going to be a factor, which means that his size is even more threatening. And in a playground like the Elimination Chamber, where he can really unleash the viciousness inside of him and not have to worry about getting disqualified. Samoa Joe, you know, the Elimination Chamber match usually has someone inside of it that goes on a tear, whether it's someone like Drew McIntyre in 2011 or Umaga in 2008 or or even Kane in, in 2002 or Goldberg in 03. Usually there's someone who just seems to adapt to that environment and immediately reach another level of destructive capability. And you've got to look at that field this year and say that's going to be Samoa Joe. And that is a frightening thing to think about. Joe has a psychological advantage over AJ Styles that we've seen manifest in itself. He has a size advantage over absolutely everybody else in the match. You've got to think that broken down bodies like Jeff's and Ali's are just 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 waiting to be plucked. The real intrigue in all of this is how Joe and Orton may interact with one another. Because Orton's got that first strike capability to be able to to surprise anyone with an RKO at any point, sneak up on anyone, you know, really kind of hit a, hit a cross body out of nowhere. You know, Orton is almost as capable capable as Joe is. The question is where maybe Joe has an advantage over Orton specifically is that uh, clarity of thought. You know, Orton, yes, his his the voices in his head and his intensity and his 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 surplus of malice, as I called it earlier, they all play to his advantage. Uh, but someone who can think clearly, someone who has an ability to tactically 
maybe predict what Orton's going to do next. Someone who is, it's not, I tell you what, there's, I mean, there's a certain parallel there to Rollins and Ambrose, isn't there? I mean, Orton's something of a lunatic. Joe is something of a, of a forward planner. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two characters interact. That's a tough one to call. It may be a coin flip on the, on the night, on Sunday night, as to who gets the best of whom between Orton and Joe. And it may come down to timing as well, because timing is always a factor in the Elimination Chamber, lest we forget. You know, if you're in there first, then the chances, obviously, of you, of you losing or, or failing to win, I should say are significantly increased and depending on where people come second third fourth the complexion of this match could change in an infinite number of ways depending on who starts the match who enters the match when they enter the match how long they're in the match for and all that sort of stuff so very very interesting to consider how Orton and Joe may interact AJ Styles you know he's been in the chamber before he went in having recently lost a WWE championship the last time he was in the chamber he got down to the final two where he got bested by Bray Wyatt I mean there's not much we can really say about AJ Styles that his in-ring performances haven't said for themselves over the last two years. It's worth bearing in mind that there hasn't been a single WWE Championship match not featuring AJ Styles since all the way back in October of 2017. That's how long this guy has been at the top of his game. That's how long this guy's been at the top of SmackDown Live and that alone makes him a powerhouse competitor in this match. But it also means, yes, he's got the 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 war readiness. He's battle scarred. You know, he's he's at he's he's in his own pace, so to speak. You know, he's he's running at a pace and, and not losing his footing. But again, you know, I guess similarly to Jeff, I mean, youth isn't necessarily on AJ's side. And how long can he keep performing at this level before it starts to get the better of him? We've already seen Daniel Bryan outsmart AJ a number of times. We know AJ's easy to get underneath the skin of. And he's in there against Samoa Joe, who previously got under his skin. He's in there with Randy Orton, who is as smooth a competitor as AJ Styles is on his best day. And he's in there with, like I say, with Daniel Bryan, who who has proven time and again to be able to out-wrestle Styles as well. So, I don't know. In a strange way, I look at AJ Styles, and I kind of see him far from being one of the favorites in this thing. It feels like maybe the WWE Championship scene, people... He's been in a prominent position for a long time, so people are used to seeing him in that top spot. And they'll have been keeping an eye on him. And Daniel Bryan knows what he can do, and Samoa Joe knows what he can do, because they've had prolonged series of matches with him in their own right. And guys like... Ali, Orton and Hardy they're no slouches, they they know how to scout and AJ Styles has given them plenty of material to scout, particularly in WWE Championship matches and of course in a previous Elimination Chamber match as well so I, I actually don't really fancy AJ Styles' odds on Sunday I don't fancy his odds going into this thing. It's very difficult in fact to think that anybody's leaving that chamber with the title other than Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan has been on a tear. He's fueled by his own social crusade about using the platform lent to him by the WWE Championship to spread his message, rather quite militantly I have to say, but to spread his message nonetheless. And I, you know, we know what he can do inside the chamber. Whether he's going to be, well, sorry, I'll rephrase that. We know what he could do inside the ring and we've seen what he's been able to, to achieve inside the chamber as well. Daniel Bryan won one Elimination Chamber when he successfully defended the World Heavyweight Championship. You know, so that, I mean, he's the only, I think, the only guy in the field, and feel free to fact-check me, folks, but I think he's the only guy in the entire field of competitors to have successfully retained a World Championship inside a chamber, which immediately you've got to fancy his chances. He also, was, of course, almost won a second Elimination Chamber in 2014, and who did he almost beat to win the WWE Championship in that? Randy 
Orton. So Daniel Bryan has a lot of precedent playing in his favor heading into this thing. He also has all the momentum he's built for himself, all this sense of confidence that he's built up in himself by besting AJ Styles. So Daniel Bryan, we know, is prepared to dig deep into his resources to do things that maybe aren't necessarily that admirable in order to maintain his platform. Daniel Bryan is fueled by a sense of self-righteousness that is very, very difficult to combat. Interestingly enough, the one person who may be able to combat it is Mustafa Ali, but as I said, who, who himself has his own social crusade, but as I've already said, there's doubts as to whether Ali will even make it into the match, and if he doesn't, I tell you, it's going to be very difficult for me not to pick Daniel Bryan on the right side of the pond this Friday when Maverick and I come to do our predictions, because in actual fact, there's a lot playing in his favour in this match. As I said, you've got that past precedent, you've got that that social drive there, uh, and you've ultimately got a great deal of danger, dangerous capability between the ropes as well. And on top of all of that, you of course have Eric Rowan, who you've got to think is going to be on the outside, maybe giving him some moral support, if not managing to find a way to interfere. It's you know it's not been unheard of for people to interfere inside elimination chambers. So yeah, there's there's a lot playing in Daniel Bryan's favour actually. But we're going to have to see how this Gauntlet match on SmackDown Live plays out. By the time you listen to the show, it will have played out. It's going to be interesting ahead of time to think how that may impact it because I believe the winner of that gets to enter last into the chamber. So that alone, I mean, if Daniel Bryan's able to pick up a win, then he's absolutely the favourite, I think. If he comes in last and he has all of that precedent, all of that motivation all of the outside factors playing in his favour, then absolutely he's got to be the favourite. I think Samoa Joe would be very much difficult to bet against as well if he came in last uh, two. Uh, But as to Ali, of course, he may not make it into the match. And there are a number of interesting alternatives. Rey Mysterio uh, is is one potential replacement for him, and Rey's had a lot of near-success in Elimination Chambers. It's going to be interesting to see if he does enter, how Daniel Bryan specifically reacts to him, because Rey Mysterio is is a different kind of competitor to a lot of the other guys that Daniel Bryan uh, has has wrestled, but then, you know, Ali's in there, so, well, I guess if Ray's, Ray's in there, Ali won't be, I, I suppose, so that's a moot point. Um, but, uh, you know, Ray, he's been a runner-up in two chambers, he got bested by Edge in, in both of those, both for World Championships, so, uh, yeah, it's 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 not necessarily beyond the pale to imagine Ray could do well. Andrade's someone else that you would have to keep an eye on, and you've got to think, you know, between his conditioning and his own motivation to prove himself the best and the focus that Zelina Vega has allowed him to capture over the last couple of years. I mean, this guy keeps climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder. He's clearly hungry. He's clearly wanting to make a mark. He was the last surviving SmackDown Live competitor in the ring at the Men's Royal Rumble match this year, and he'd been in there for a long, long time, got the better of some big names, got the better of some big competitors. He's beaten Rey Mysterio in the ring ready this year on SmackDown Live and what he could do against an AJ Styles or a Daniel Bryan or come up against a Samoa Joe. I mean, Andrade is a fierce, fierce competitor and I would, I would, I'd actually love to see him in the chamber. I would. I would love to see him in the chamber. I'm not necessarily a fan of his methods, but I'd love to see him in the chamber and I think he'd do well if he did get in the chamber. You've got other guys, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura, who is king of strong style, would be right up his alley for, for a hard-hitting match like the Elimination Chamber. Rusev is a guy who could rival Samoa Joe in terms of really rising to the occasion and, and capturing the, the brutality that the Elimination Chamber's environment really affords and, and allows you to uh, to indulge in. So there's a lot of interesting... A lot of interesting options there. The complexion of this WWE Championship match is far from set, and we are mere days away 
from seeing it unfold. By the time you listen to this, we'll know who's last into the ring. We'll know whether Ali's made it or not. And I think both of those are going to be key factors in deciding who walks away with the WWE Championship. And you've got to think this is a high stakes match. Yes, we've got fast lane on the near horizon. But if you can maintain, if you can win or retain the WWE Championship this Sunday, then you're going to be, you've got to, you've got to be favored to be walking into WrestleMania with that title. At come WrestleMania, because it's hard to imagine Fastlane can offer up a steeper challenge than is afforded by the Chamber itself. Having said that, what kind of condition is the WWE Champion going to be in heading into WrestleMania? I mean, we don't know who the champion is going to be, we don't know who the challenge is going to be, but we do know that whoever is in both either of those roles, their bodies are going to have endured a very, very hard schedule on the road to WrestleMania. It feels like the road to getting to that main event match at Mania has never been tougher, never been rougher. And I tell you, I like it, man. I like it a lot. So that's the WWE Championship match. If you want to know who I'm going to be picking as a winner, tune in to the right side of the pond this coming Friday on Lords of Pain Radio, where Maverick and I don't know yet if Maz is going to be joining us or continuing his his, uh, Shinobi absence. Uh, But certainly Maverick and I will be making our picks for the various matches for Fastlane. That's this Friday, so tune into that if you want to know who I'm picking. But generally speaking, I think it's a match with a lot of intrigue, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that could still change in the next few hours. Things could be changing right up to, to bell time, in fact, and indeed keep changing after bell time. It's the chamber. That's how it works, right? So it's it's going to be fascinating to see how these competitors all respond to both their recent pasts with one another and to the environment the chamber affords them. Okay, well, before we move on, we're already at the half hour mark. That's absolutely flown by. I'm going to take us, as always, as I always do at this point, to a little advert break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Women's Tag Team Championship Elimination Chamber match, some of the teams in that. And maybe we'll get around to some of the mid-card Monday Night Raw stuff. I guess we'll have to wait and see and see what, what time's like for us. Here's a few ad breaks. Got to pay those bills, folks. Stick with me, and I'll be back in just a few. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. We are, of course, in the middle of my traditional alternative pre-show this time for Elimination Chamber 2019 coming up this Sunday. Just a reminder, once again, if you do watch the show this Sunday, do be sure to check out Aftershock, which will be live. It's our live post-pay-per-view podcast where Steve and myself will be breaking down all the action hot off the press, our initial reactions to the show itself, to the results of the show, to the matches, and all that kind of good stuff, as well as probably a little bit about the the future of Aftershock after WrestleMania. So do please tune into that show on Sunday, live, following Showtime, or alternatively, download it on demand after the fact. Okay, so we've dealt with the men's elimination chain match. We, of course, have two this year, and the other one is this Tag Team Elimination Chamber match to crown the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. Now, I have to say from the beginning, I have uh, not so fond memories of the original Tag Team Elimination Chamber match, which was, of course, won by the New Day back in 2015. So there's only been one of these in the past, which actually makes it very difficult to envision how this is going to go. We don't have the same library to be able to research as we do for singles elimination chamber matches. And that may just play a part as well in the preparation that these teams are able to do. The fascinating thing about this elimination chamber match, of course, is that there's so much, so many firsts 
embroiled in all of this. There's such a lack of precedent. There's not been a women's tag team division for many, many years, which means none of these teams have ever really wrestled each other before in any kind of big, high-stakes environment. It's the first tag team championships for the women's division since, the I think, the 80s. So there's going to be a lot of hunger and a lot of desire, but also a lot of pressure being piled by the by the participants on their own shoulders. So you've got to deal with the, the psychology of not knowing how these different teams that you're going to be in the chamber with are going to be going to be reacting to you. You've also got the, the psychology of thinking, man, if it, you know, this is our shot at the big time here. We could be the first inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Champions if we get this right. And if we get it wrong, we're going to regret it. So you've got all that going on. And then you've got the fact that it's a unique environment in terms of a tag team chamber. So you've got more bodies in there. And many of the women competing have never been in a chamber before. I think maybe Sasha Banks and Bailey, and I think maybe Nia Jax, I want to say, were in the Raw Women's uh, Elimination Championship Elimination Chamber match last year. Again, I can't fact-check that, so if you do know and I'm getting it wrong, hit me up and let me know. But So you've got a, you've got a lot going on in this thing where a lot of these participants are really going to have to acclimate to the chamber to the chamber's environment to acclimatize to that very very quickly if they want to succeed they're going to have to acclimatize to their opponents very quickly if they want to succeed because the fascinating thing here as well is that each of these teams present threats of a different sort uh, in, in a lot of ways you know Naya and Tamina first of all you've got the size the power the brutality the strength and the blood relation. This is something people don't really talk about with Naya and Tamina. These two are going to know each other very well. They're going to be very much in sync because they share the same blood. They're blood relatives. And they've proven themselves to be a force to be reckoned with in the near past as well. And you've got, you, I mean, just the fact, I said earlier with the preview on the men's chamber match, you know, the fact that usually in one of these matches, someone really rises to embrace the destructive nature of the chamber. You've got Naya and Tamina. They could wipe out the rest of the field if they're able to tap into that destructive vein. And Naya, of course, you know, she's been on something of a tear recently in terms of she broke the nose of the man, Becky Lynch, and she's been more than happy to go around boasting of that. She uh, wiped out R-Truth in the men's Royal Rumble match after dominating in the women's Royal Rumble match and, and proceeded to eliminate Mustafa Ali from it and really have a run-in with Dean Ambrose the next night. Naya is motivated and she's got a, a, a reason a number of reasons to have a lot of self-belief. So straight away, you've got to think of, of Naya and Tamina as a major threat. But then you've got counteracting them. You've got the Riot Squad and you've got Absolution, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. And those two teams, maybe out of the entire field, are the closest knit. The Riot Squad in particular, who've had tattoos of their formation date um, each and uh, showed what they can achieve as a team in the Royal Rumble match, showed their creative thought as a team in the Royal Rumble match. Absolution, you know, I, I, I fancy Rose and Deville a little less than I do Logan and Morgan, just because... Logan and Morgan, that's rolls off the tongue. Um, just because uh, Rose has been on something of an ego trip recently, and I wonder how long that's going to last until it starts to maybe erode away at the bond formed between these two sisters by other misters. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. Sonya Deville in this kind of an environment as well with a UFC background should be should be fascinating to see. And she's someone who really shouldn't be looked past. I really like Sonya Deville. I think she's got a, a big upside and her capability in the ring could be the key to taking down a Nia Jax or a Tamina, for example. Um, but the Iconics, you can lump in with, with Riot Squad and Absolution as well. Two fast friends. And what we've seen with the Iconics, if you think all the way back to the fatal four-way NXT Women's Championship match that they were a part of on 
one takeover. I can't remember which one it was. It may have been the one in in uh, in Toronto, I think, or something like that. They showed in that match that they can very very effectively take advantage of a chaotic environment. They're opportunists. And there's a lot of opportunity that's offered up by the chamber. If you think that Jax and Tamina go on a tear, right, and they start throwing bodies around, putting people through pod doors and all the rest of it, you know, that's the kind of chaos with all these bodies flying everywhere that that Kay and Royce could could sneak their way to a victory towards. You know, people shouldn't look past the Iconics because they're smart, they're clever, they put on... I'm convinced that the that the humor that the wit that the silliness that the kind of the you know the kind of the class clown stuff that they do is only in it's in part a facade i'm convinced of this to distract to trick to deceive opponents into thinking they're not capable they are very very capable and i i think they could they could actually do really well alternatively they could absolutely get wiped out very quickly but the iconics if they're in the right frame of mind and they've got their opportunists hat on they get a good draw as well in terms of entry then they could do well in this thing. Um, Naomi and Carmella is is an intriguing one. You've got to think they're the underdogs here because they haven't really been much of a team for very long. But the two of them do do well when expectations are that they aren't going to succeed. You know when people kind of write them off? You know, Naomi's career basically is owed to a head-turning performance against Nikki Bella for the Divas Championship many years ago. And Carmella... You know, won money in the bank, cashed money in the bank in successfully, was women's champion for a prolonged period of time, was able to get the better of Asuka, able to get the better of Charlotte several times over, lost it in a triple threat match without being beaten one-on-one. Um, she had a really strong performance against Bailey in NXT once for the NXT Women's Championship as well. So they do tend to rise to the occasion a little bit when people have kind of written up, written them off and, and kind of said, you know, oh, we don't expect you to do very well. They've got, they're both very athletic women. Uh, and they're smart performers as well. I, I, you know, they don't have the the blood relation that Jacks or the power that Jackson and Tamina benefit from. They don't have the the unity uh, that the Riot Squad or Absolution have. I don't really think. I mean, Carmella maybe, but but I'm not sure they're going to be willing to tap into any kind of vein of opportunism like the Iconics will. So they're going to have to rely on their plucky spirit, and I'm not sure their plucky spirit, quite honestly, is going to take them very far in an environment like the Elimination Chamber. I'm more than happy for them to come along and prove me wrong, of course, but uh, I don't know. I I think maybe they're a long shot here. And then you have the fascinating case of Sasha Banks and Bailey. And I say fascinating case because on the surface, you've got to consider them the favourites. They're both former Raw Women's Champions. They're both former NXT Women's Champions. They're two members of the four, WWE's Four Horsewomen who live in infamy. They achieved huge things in terms of breaking down the barrier to even lead to a, a Women's Tag Team Championship match and lead to a Women's Elimination Chamber match. Uh, and they have a lot of experience as friends and partners and enemies. They know each other very, very well, possibly better than any of the other partners know, maybe with the exception of the Riot Squad. But you've got to think that Sasha and Bailey know each other better than any of the two partners of any other team know each other. But we've seen time and time again, not least of all in last year's Elimination Chamber match, that these two women just can't seem to put aside their individual egos for any prolonged period of time. Yes, they know each other very well, they've got a lot of experience with each other, but we can't forget the competitive hostility found in their matches for the NXT Women's Championship. And we can't forget that, you know, early in 2018, they were at each other's throats, and for a while it looked like they were going to end up wrestling at WrestleMania. 
uh, and at SummerSlam. And that's never happened, of course, and they seem to have been on the same page for a while now. But you never know. It's Like I said earlier, <clears throat> it's a high-stakes environment. There's a lot at play. There's not much precedent to go on. The pressure, it's going to be like a pressure cooker inside that chamber. A pressure cooker with knives being flung at them out of the walls. And and that kind of environment may end up seeing that tension kind of rear its ugly head again. I can't help but ponder that right now Asuka is, is currently searching for a challenger on SmackDown Live. And the idea that that's open and that Raw's... Uh, women's Championship is being challenged essentially by one or two SmackDown Live women's superstars. Maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe there's an opening there. Maybe Bailey and Sasha Banks, because of course it's their their four horsewomen compatriots, Charlotte and Becky Lynch, who have found themselves in that position. So who knows? I mean, there's there's stuff at hand in the match, and there may be stuff boiling under the surface happening elsewhere in WWE's universe. Could either one of them have an eye on maybe thinking? Oh, I could head over to SmackDown Live and challenge Asuka here. Will their heads be in the game for the Women's Tag Team Championships? And even if they are, how long can they hold on to those Tag Team Championships before their relationship starts to fall apart again? I refuse to call them the Boston Hook Connection because it's an awful name. But Banks and Bailey may be the favourites, but they also, ironically, you know, as strong a, 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 a pairing as they are to walk away with the titles, they may be as strong a pairing to walk away being the first eliminated if things go awry on the night. It's going to be very much about, for them, I think, how it plays out on the night itself. So, again, you know, maybe not quite so much uh, at play in terms of the moving pieces and the unpredictability as the Men's WWE Championship Elimination Chamber match, but the the lack of precedent, the high stakes, and the, the varying characteristics of the teams involved here means that this is going to be a fascinating one uh, to watch play out. Uh, as to who wins, it's very, very difficult to come down on any one of the six sides here. Like I said, I don't think Naomi and Carmella have a shot, quite frankly. The Iconics may be a long shot, but they're, they're still a possibility. And I think outside of Naomi and Carmella, any of those five teams could viably walk away with the championships and prove themselves effective competitors. Especially, I tell you why I'm liking Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan here, though, is because it could be a very, very good night for the Riot Squad. Because, of course, Ruby Riot on Sunday is challenging Ronda Rousey for the Raw Women's Championship in a match that many people have just kind of immediately written off, including, it seems, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, Helmsley, and Vince McMahon as being a foregone conclusion. Ronda's going to win it, and Charlotte is going to challenge Ronda for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. You know, maybe Becky Lynch finds a way back into that match or not yet, or, or displaces Charlotte yet again we don't know but it feels like everyone's just assumed Ronda's going into Wrestlemania as champion so one has to wonder why is Ruby Riot challenging Ronda for the title on Sunday and in actual fact what you realize is we've got a pay-per-view between now and Wrestlemania and it's a long stretch until Wrestlemania so that means one of two things that means yes there could be still every possibility Ronda walks into Wrestlemania as champion but that doesn't mean she's going to walk into Fastlane as champion but secondly excuse me Because of the stretch that we have until WrestleMania, there's every opportunity that Ronda doesn't main event WrestleMania at all and that Ruby Riot shocks the world and takes everything away from Ronda. Ruby is a very, very capable competitor. She was never NXT Women's Champion, I grant you. She was never... A, a women's champion on the main roster, I grant you as well. But I think Ruby has been a victim of poor timing, not of poor ability. And 
Sunday presents an opportunity for the right squad that they've never had before. You could be looking at a situation where they walk away with all the gold, where where Liv and Sarah walk away with the first ever women's tag team championships and Ruby walks away with the Raw Women's Championship. In a one-on-one situation, I dare say that Ruby probably doesn't have a chance against Ronda here. But lest we forget, at Royal Rumble, the Riot Squad really showed what they're capable of uh, in terms of when they work as a team. What they did in the Women's Royal Rumble match was classic because it was something we've never seen any team do before. They didn't get back into the ring to uh, illegally eliminate people, but they did pull the major threats out of Ruby's way, beat them down on the outside, throw them back in as as having been beaten down, and as well helping clear the field for Ruby Riot. Now, one would assume... And it is just an assumption that maybe the Raw Women's Championship match goes on after the Tag Team Championship Elimination Chamber match. Now, if it does, on the one hand, should Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan walk away with the Raw with the inaugural Women's Championships, uh, and then you know do that before Ruby challenges Ronda, the Riot Squad are going to be motivated by the fact that they're one victory away from holding all the women's gold. On the other hand, if Liv and Sarah get beaten out in the Elimination Chamber match, then the Riot Squad are going to see Ronda's uh, Raw Women's Championship title defence as a last chance saloon for them to walk away with something that night and make sure it's not a def- deftly embarrassed, deeply embarrassing, I should say, night for the group. So, actually, don't write Ruby off. Don't think of Ronda winning here as a foregone conclusion. It's the road to WrestleMania. As cliche as it is, a lot can happen. And it could be that if the Riot Squad work together as a team, if they're able to function effectively as a team... Because let's let's be blunt here. You know, outside of maybe Natalia, who just today tweeted a picture of Asuka and wondering whether she could go to SmackDown Live, so obviously has her head in other games here. Outside of her... Ruby, uh, sorry, Ronda doesn't have any friends. Becky's not going to come to help her. Charlotte's not going to come to help her unless, unless they're determined to beat Ronda at WrestleMania. Unless they're so invested in the idea of beating specifically Ronda, more so than, than wrestling for the title, more so than headlining Mania. If they're so invested in beating Ronda for the title, then maybe they'll interfere on Ronda's behalf. So maybe this isn't as simple as I'm thinking it was. Maybe the Riot Squad actually may have to face down not just Ronda, but Ronda's potential opponents. Does that then in turn motivate the Riot Squad a little bit more? This is actually a fascinating situation when you start to think about it. This is a fascinating situation to break down here. There's a lot at play. We could see Charlotte turn up. We could see Becky turn up. We could see the Riot Squad turn up. This could turn into an all-out war over the Raw Women's Championship. And I think that just speaks to the, the, the... the value placed on that title and the escalating events surrounding that championship and the hostilities around that championship and around the competitors for that championship. It's a highly volatile situation, the entire complexion of which could change seemingly in any number of very very many directions. Uh, so fascinating stuff there indeed, to say the least. Now, we've got 15 minutes here. Um there's not really much left to say, to be quite honest, about a lot of the other matches. I mean, the tag team match for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships between the Miz and Shane Man and the Usos. The Revival, of course, have just won the Monday Night Raw Tag Team Championships. So you're going to have to think that that's going to maybe light a bit of a, a motivational fire underneath the Usos, who I imagine is the iconic team of this generation and not going to want to lose to a makeshift 
team like the Miz and Shane McMahon, which was basically born out of out of Miz's own embarrassment and attempt to save face, and I God only knows why Shane McMahon's going along with it. The Usos are a very capable, very dangerous team. You know, difficult to call that one. Hard to say. Maybe the Usos' teamwork trumps it. Maybe Shane McMahon and Miz find a way to, to somehow pull it out of the bag. But there's not really much going on there. We can only hope and pray, of course, for an Usos' victory because, frankly, I think it's absolutely appalling that the boss's son, that the commissioner of SmackDown Live is involving himself in a championship scene that to me is obscene, and I want to end, see it end sooner rather than later. Get him inside that Uso penitentiary if you can, Jay and Jimmy, please. Uh, and incidentally, if that does, that's not going to play well with Miz, with Miz, I don't think. He's kind of banked his entire reputation, his entire franchise, which is a bankable franchise. He's got Miz and Misses. He's had uh, you know, famous reigns as Intercontinental Champion. If he loses because of Shane, it's, not going to, it's going to stick in his craw a little bit, and that might see things degrade between the two of them, especially because memories of Crown Jewel are clearly still in the back of Miz's mind. Um, <clears throat> in fact, maybe this is all a ploy. Maybe Miz has set this up so that Shane finds himself in a two-on-one situation gets beaten down. I don't trust Miz as far as I could throw him, and I think Shane would be foolish uh, to do so himself. We've then, of course, got... What else have we got here? We've got an Intercontinental Championship match between Bobby Lashley and Finn Balor. Uh, sorry, Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush, Leo Rush against Finn Balor. And if you listen to the show last week, where I talked about the character arcs, that I could see unfolding on the road to WrestleMania. Finn Balor, this is a man who right now is all about making people believe, making people believe what he's capable of, making people believe that he belongs in the highest echelons of WWE. Beating Bobby Lashley affords him a unique opportunity to prove that. He's got to compete with Leo Rush as well. Now, I think that the threat here, the danger, isn't that it's two-on-one. I think the danger is that Leo Rush running interference could cock everything up. Not because he can get the better of Finn in the ring. I don't believe that Leo Rush can. Leo Rush is a phenomenal performer, but I think Finn Balor is just that much better. But he's enough to provide, in, you know, he's he's he could provide enough of a distraction to allow Bobby Lashley to pick up the victory here. And that really is is what gives Bobby an advantage. I think if this was one on one, then you'd have to really favour Finn. And I think the reason you'd have to favour Finn is kind of what I was talking about last week, which is he's coming off of this match with Brock Lesnar. Now, when Bobby Lashley returned to the company, he did so because one of the things he wanted was a match against Brock Lesnar because the two are comparable competitors. They've got the size, they've got the speed, you know, they've got the MMA background, Brock Lesnar obviously much more notably so. But they're comparable competitors. That means Finn essentially goes into this thing uh, with his nose blooded. You know, he's cut his teeth. He knows what it's like to wrestle against a performer of the style of Bobby Lashley. And I would say that Brock Lesnar is, is obviously more capable than Bobby Lashley in the ring. He's a more dangerous opponent than Bobby Lashley is in the ring. And Finn took Lesnar to the limit. I mean, Finn almost beat Brock. Yes, maybe he had some help with the ribs and stuff and whatnot and the, the look of Brock falling into the, the edge of the table and stuff. But ultimately, Finn believes himself. Now, whether this is true or not is irrelevant because Finn believes he made Brock into a believer. Finn is not lacking motive. I mean, he doesn't like motivation at the best of times, but right now he particularly isn't lacking motivation. And I think what's more is, you know, I think he's going to be remembering how close he got to winning the Intercontinental Championship on the road to WrestleMania last year. You know, he opened WrestleMania wrestling for the IC title. Of course, he came very close to winning it a number of times. He challenged Seth Pratt. I think it may have been even the next night. And he's going to look at Seth Rollins. The comparisons between the two are drawn often and frequently and often quite loudly and are drawn by the men themselves. 
he's got to look at what Seth achieved with that Intercontinental title and probably be thinking, man, you know, I want that. Because if Seth comes doesn't come up trumps against Brock for the Universal title, Brock retains, that's going to put me in position as the number one guy on Monday Night Raw above even Seth Rollins, who right now is... is you know, winner of the Royal Rumble and stuff. So there's there's a big opportunity here for Finn. And like I say, he's blooded himself against an opponent of the ilk of Bobby Lashley. But it's just the inclusion of Leo Rush. That's where Finn Balor, I think, is probably going to come unstuck. I think Leo is enough of a pest in the ring. And that's really all he's going to be for Balor, is a pest. Um, but I think he's enough of a pest to cause Balor enough trouble to see Balor come up short here. But Balor's going to have, I think, more opportunities at this. I don't think this is the last that Bobby Lashley is going to see of Finn Balor. And I think Bobby Lashley needs to be very, very much aware of that fact. It should be a very competitive match. You've got strength and speed that Balor's going to have to compete with. Maybe that draws out the demon persona. Maybe the two of, of, of the Almighty and the Man of the Hour together is enough to draw out the demon. But I have a feeling that Finn's probably going to be able to manage this one on his own. Or think that he's going to be able to manage this one on his own. If he does win, he'll have certainly made a believer out of me. And I think he'll have made a believer out of a lot of people. Because it's no small challenge to overcome, let me tell you. To beat Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush 2-on-1 for the Intercontinental title. That's a big deal. But of course we also have uh, we also have Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin. I guess the, we ought to finish on this one here because the Cruiserweight title match, there's not really much to say about that, I don't think, other than I'm looking forward to seeing it. But in the case of Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin, these two now have obviously been at each other's throats for a long time. Braun Strowman is heavily motivated to make an example of Baron, thanks to Baron costing Braun not one but two Universal Championship matches. First, he cost Baron... Uh, Sorry, he cost Braun a physical match. And second, he he cost Braun the opportunity at a match. So Braun's going to be relishing and sort of rubbing his hands and licking his lips at the opportunity to get his hands on Baron Corbin. Baron is not a lost cause, but what he needs to do is put aside this Machiavellian streak that he's trying to tap into. Because he's shown that he has a Machiavellian streak. He shows that he has a, a manipulative side. But he's also proven time again, he's not very good at playing the politics game either. If this was the Game of Thrones in which you live or die, Baron Corbin would have died a long time ago because he's just a bit of a bumbling buffoon when it comes to trying to play the politics. What he's best doing is tapping back into that persona, that lone wolf persona, that lest we forget, once saw him single-handed eliminate Braun Strowman from the 2017 Royal Rumble. Baron Corbin in in uh, 2017's Rumble, 2018's Rumble, the Greatest Royal Rumble, has shown himself to be very, very effective when he comes in and he does the, the kind of the high-impact, high-octane, in-your-face, smash-mouth offense. Get in, deliver your blows, get out fast. And if he can capture that, if he could tap into that, if he could put aside this silly kind of politicking side, then he may just stand a chance against Braun one-on-one. But the truth is, excuse me, (coughs) getting a sore throat. The truth is that I think this probably isn't going to be two on uh, one on one. This is probably going to be two on one. I think Drew McIntyre is going to make his presence felt. Drew is a man with a crusade that underpins everything that he does. That crusade is to what he likes to call put the locker room on notice, but that in actual fact, I think translates as him basically seeking revenge on any part of a company he can get his hands on that he feels slighted him in the past. Obviously, Braun Strowman's been in his targets very, very recently, really since Royal Rumble. And one wonders whether we are heading towards a Strowman-McIntyre confrontation uh, at Fastlane. Baron also has to be wary because Drew has shown himself to be 
to be more than willing to cast aside people he doesn't see as advantageous to him anymore as he did with Ziggler. McIntyre's very effective playing interference on the outside for people that could see Strowman come unstuck. But if Corbin does win, how effective, you know, how how much use is he uh, for for McIntyre at that point? So maybe McIntyre will dump Corbin as he dumped uh, Ziggler before him. But either way, Strum's going to have to watch his back. The interesting thing is Angle may turn up. You know, there's a lot of players embroiled in this this Monday Night Raw upper mid-card scene right now. Not all of them welcome, of course, but Kurt Angle may turn up and may provide Braun Strowman that backup that he needs to countermand any influence that McIntyre may seek to exert on the match itself. But generally speaking, I think it's going to be a pretty straightforward smash-mouth affair that may hopefully finally bring an end to this lingering Braun Strowman Baron Corbin issue that's really been going on since November of last year which when you think about it is pretty extraordinary and not really necessarily extraordinary in a good way. I guess that pretty much wraps us up then folks we're at the 55 minute mark I've kind of whizzed through a few of those undercard matches but honestly there's not really a lot to say about many of them the real intrigue here rests as it you know, predictably would do with the two Elimination Chamber matches themselves. I think I am probably looking forward to the show, not as much as I was looking forward to Royal Rumble, of course, or even to TLC for that matter. But I think there's going to be some worthy matches on there. And a lot of, a lot of, you know, ev- pretty much everything at this point feels high stakes because of the impact that it could have on what feels like a pretty unpredictable road to WrestleMania. And that alone's quite exciting. As I said earlier, you can check out all my thoughts fresh off of the show on Sunday night, live on Aftershock with Steve as soon as, well, it may not be as soon as, but certainly within usually within the 30, first 30 minutes of Elimination Chamber going off air. So do tune in to LOP Radio then through your usual location. In the meantime, you can check out all the great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have one go out every single day of the week, so you're not really lacking for content there. You can catch Kingdom of Honor on Mondays, The Global Revolution on Tuesdays, One Nation Radio on Tuesdays. You can check myself out, of course, here every Wednesday with Sports Entertainment is Dead. The Implications is here with the Perfect Ten podcast on Thursdays. Fridays is the right side of the pond, and this Friday I'll be back with Maverick as we make our predictions for Elimination Chamber. And on Saturdays now, we have a brand new All About Elite Wrestling podcast that you could check out as well. And there may actually be a podcast coming back on Sundays very soon as well, so stay tuned for more news on that front. I'm not going to give anything away quite yet, but uh, just keep keep your ears peeled for that, folks. In the meantime, do get in touch with me. Make sure you let me know your thoughts on Elimination Chamber 2019 as well as your predictions and your ideas about where the intrigue lies with each match there's no lack of ways you can get in contact with me by far the best is on Twitter at LOP Plan or you can reach me on Facebook just look up Samuel Plan you can of course drop me a comment on lordsofpain.net either on any posts advertising podcasts or of course any of my columns which at this point you could check every single Sunday and incidentally do go check out the first ever Sunday column with some of my current events thoughts on Monday Night Raw and of the departure of Hideo Itami that was posted last Sunday and is still available to read you can also reach me at LOP forums we currently have a King of the Columnists tournament going on in which I am currently a quarter finalist uh, and that you can keep up with all the action you can sign up it's free to sign up there's no subscription no money nothing you can do it and you can try a hand at posting your own columns there's a great community of fellow writers down there who'll help you really learn the craft and who knows maybe one day you'll be writing for lordsofpain.net and maybe even publishing a book i got there dot got there all through lop so there's no better and if you're if you're eager to write about wrestling i guarantee you there is no better a place 
on the internet to write about wrestling than Lords of Pain because you will get no greater creative freedom than you do there. You can really do your own thing. It is the AEW of wrestling column writing. So head over, sign up, get joined in, follow the tournaments, take part in future tournaments, write columns, feedback, be a part of the best wrestling community on the internet. And of course... You can drop me a message while you're there as well. I hope you've enjoyed this, the alternative pre-show for Elimination Chamber 2019. I will, of course, be back next week with the the Elimination Chamber 2019 performance art review where I'll be breaking down my final performance art thoughts on on the biggest matches of the pay-per-view. And the week after that, we're launching straight into the alternative pre-show for Fastlane. We really are picking up speed on the road to WrestleMania. And I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm feeling pretty positive about it at the minute. I think it's very refreshing on the product to see two main events being built towards with you know with with challenges that the fans are very organically cheering behind against opponents that fans don't want to see succeed and that just feels really old school and fresh and, and new again and it's just a breath of fresh air. And hopefully after this Sunday we'll start seeing the rest of the WrestleMania card begin to somewhat take shape and I can only hope that it carries on the theme that has been prominent in those top two matches so yeah feeling really good about things even if this Sunday's card's kind of looking a bit tepid but hopefully they'll knock it out of the park we'll get a good show and I'll as I say I'll be back oh and before I go don't forget the end of March 20, 20th 27th of March I think my two real-time watch-alongs with the tetralogy of matches wrestled between The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. Two one week, two the next week, between WrestleMania 25 and WrestleMania 28. Can't wait to share those with you, so keep your eyes peeled for that. In the meantime, have a good week, folks, and I will see you this time next Wednesday. <laughs>